welcome to Tardigrade Talks. I'm your host, Dr. Jody Samra, and this is a podcast for anyone interested in cultivating greater psychological health, wellness, and resilience. In this week's episode, I am thrilled to introduce you to William Higginson, a stunningly talented artist and entrepreneur. William is an award-winning surrealist artist who has been touted as one of the hardest working artists in his community. He's had three solo shows and has had his work showcased alongside that of Salvador Dali. He's the former director of Vancouver Art Battle, a competitive painting event, co-founder and community director of Direct to Artist, and former membership chair of the Federation of Canadian Artists. We'll be talking about the callings we receive early in life that shape our career path, how life-threatening health issues early in life impacted the trajectory life took, and the tenacity, grit, and creativity it takes to not just survive, but thrive as an artist. Bill, a huge welcome. I am so, so thrilled to be speaking with you today. It's really nice to be here talk, talking with you as well, Jody. Thank you for having me. Well, and it's nice to uh, kind of voice to voice be able to connect because, of course, pre-pandemic, you and I were office neighbors and uh, the clinic that I worked at in your studio. And, you know, since our world went a little bit wild, we've both given up our kind of respective office spaces. And so nice to connect with you virtually. Oh, likewise here, Jody. I do miss the face-to-face, but there's gifts that come with what's happened. And also we do miss our studio downtown, but it's nice to reflect back and, and create a different lifestyle around what's happened. Absolutely. And we are going to talk a lot more about resilience, but when we think of accepting that which is, right, and, and seeing the gifts in all the things that are thrown our way is really such a core aspect of that, isn't it? That's so true. Yeah. Now, Phil, um, let's go way back to your journey as an artist, because your calling to art began since you can remember. And you've been quoted as saying, I live for art and that your passion has never wavered from the age of three. Um, and apparently, and I had a little chuckle when I read this, is that you were literally caught red handed, sneaking out of sports ed in grade school and breaking into your art classroom to paint. Um, and so, so tell me about when you first remember art coming into your life? Oh, geez, it, I, the, the interesting thing about that is I, I don't think I have a, an actual date on that because it, I think it was just always there right from the get-go. So talking about it when I was three, before I was even conscious to it, um, even the little um, thing you just mentioned that back in primary school when I was in grade six, sneaking into class to do it. It's a, I, I love sport, but art always overrid or overrode everything I, I've ever done. So for me, I've never really had a choice in the matter. I've just been an artist right from the beginning. Yeah, what do you think of, you know, the age-old nature versus nurture, uh, you know, argument that we have? And what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I, I, I always reflect on this. And I, I've always looked back into my family to see if there's any connection to art in it, whether it's genetic or whether I've just gravitated towards it 
And um, th there isn't really a connection in there anywhere. So it's a, it may go back a few generations to a, a distant uncle. But other than that, my calling to art was just purely my own. And it was just born from from nothing it just it just began and I, I what i really like about it is that when i was ill as a child my parents always knew i was getting better when i'd pull out a sketchbook and a pencil and and um for me i don't even re recall really doing that i don't recall it being a like a any kind of significance for me but it was just always there when did you know that you were very talented um, I'm still waiting for that. The thing is, I, I knew I had a passion for it. And I've always believed that passion outweighs any kind of talent. And so I and admittedly, I, I never really considered myself a natural artist, but I've always been willing to put in the time to become a better artist. And it, it was in high school where I had two really great teachers there who recognized my love of, of art and they always nurtured it. But um, as I was sick when I was in high school, I always found that art was the only class I showed any interest in. And you know, quite often on many occasions, I would pretend to be sick just so I could go home after art class. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, when we think, I'm so curious, as you were a little one, like, you know, kindergarten and grade school, what are you drawing? <laughs> what kinds of things? Because what were you drawing and creating and what did that look like? Um, it was always just scribbling characters and and um, also sculpting like um, little people out of Play-Doh and blue tack or whatever I could get my hands on. I, I remember always building stuff in the backyard in, in, in like mud pits or whatever it was, but just always pulling something together to see something new come to life and I think that's even part of why I reflect on you knowing my life as a surrealist I was always trying to create something that I couldn't see in real life and I think you could even relate that back just to the imagination being like overactive you know I, I need to get these images out of my head and there's always been a, a pull for me to do that in some sort of way mm. and what you know how did kind of family and others around you kind of, um, you know, support and nurture, or how do they kind of understand uh, your brain and this outlet? Well, understand's probably not the word for it, but exception was the, um, the the right word for it. My family was really supportive and, and I always look back on that as that's probably one of the most fortunate things that happened to me because I've met so many people in the arts that have been told not to be an artist by their family. They've been told that it's not a good living, it's not a good lifestyle, you can't make money in that industry. And, and I always find that so heartbreaking because it just shut it down for so many people. So I've openly thanked my parents on many occasions for supporting me in this. And, and so that, that's where I find like I'm very lucky. Yeah, and, and it really is, right? It's the one, you know, the thing that, and sure, you know, all parents, they want their children to stand on their own two feet and be independent and all these things, but but there just really is a strong bias. You think of anything kind of in the artistic, creative realm that, you know, it's almost the last thing a parent wants to hear their child say they want to do when they grow up. Well, you know, especially in the old days, but now that the digital world has come to life, uh, that the the art market for, I mean, the, the art industry is just booming. Artists are required for all these new games that are coming out, for all the new movies with CGI. And 
Now the world for artists is just getting better and better by the year. William, at 11 years of age, you were struck down by life-threatening liver failure, which left you in a coma for a number of days on life support. And a few weeks later, you recovered um, only to be diagnosed with leukemia. And so for you, very early in life, art became more than just a pleasing hobby, but but really a coping mechanism. In so many ways. And it's, uh, I, I was always an optimistic kid, like, and I and I always think back to the illnesses. Um, you know, again, I was fortunate to have a good family around me and and a support system of brothers who could pick up the slack in any regards. But the um, the illness was it was a defining moment in my life, which um, I, th- I think in many ways may have brought me out as an artist because. You can get into the whole premise behind art therapy and and that kind of line of thinking. And I actually think on so many occasions I was moving to art just to take my mind away from what was going on in the life, my life. And it was two and a half years of chemotherapy. And and that could be so debilitating at so many times. So you could, you could do anything you could to take your mind off what was going on there. And, and art was always that thing for me, unless I was too sick to pick up the pen and paper or whatever it was, but I always remember it just being such a comforting feeling to, to switch to the art whenever I could. And for me, the the interesting cycle with the, the, the chemotherapy over that period of time is that you you get knocked around by the, the, the dosage that they would give you, and then you come back to life, the art would come back to life, the enthusiasm would come back to life, and then you get another round of chemotherapy. And that was on a weekly kind of basis. So it was just this cycle of sick, art, sick, art. <laughs> and um, I mean, I look back at it with a kind of um, a really optimistic view of it because I think it was one of the most defining points in my life that has brought so much value to my life. And if it was just the art alone, I'd be appreciative of it. But my attitudes in general have been um, enhanced by that experience. Yeah, and and you think the trajectory our life takes, right? That we can never guess or expect or anticipate, you know, until hindsight, which is you know sometimes twenty twenty, and and can help illuminate uh, the important role that even traumatic and tragic life situations have on on how things end up. Yeah, and it's so true. But I think um, one of the things I have gained from all of this is optimism, and I. I've been known to turn any situation into a positive these days. And I, I think you can in so many ways, but it's not something that comes easily. And I've always tried to share my experience with people on on how I feel about having cancer and how much goodness it has brought to my life. But you can't really explain that to someone until they've experienced it. And that's when you do talk to someone who is a cancer survivor and they really do understand it as well. And if you try to put words to or articulate the ways that art helped you through those challenging years, I mean, can you can you try to put words to that? Well, I, I, again, I think about that a lot, and the words I would like kind of put to it is 
more like a vortex or a time warp because time disappears when you're in an artwork and and i still carry that to this day there like you can see you, you could be inside at lunchtime in an artwork and all of a sudden you step outside and the sun's gone <laughs> and you don't even know how you got there so i think the the escapism that comes along with art is a really valid point as to why a lot of people should gravitate gravitate to it if they're having issues with their life. And it's, I think it's why art therapy works so well, because it can take you out of your mind and into something else for extended periods of time. If we think about, um, you know, things like mindfulness, right? If I put on my psychologist hat and, and we know that cultivating, for example, a mi mindfulness practice um, has very good outcomes for our mental health. Um, we know when we engage in uh, what are called flow activities, um, that that enhances our mental health. And that's what I'm thinking of as you're speaking, uh, William, is that, you know, here you were kind of dealing, you know, it's such a delicate age, right? My goodness, 11 years of age, not even being able to fully cognitively make sense of what you're dealing with um you know and such important developmental years right it's when you start to become a teen and develop your sense of identity and here you are um dealing with um very substantive health issues um and then having this outlet that I imagine help pull you in to be present, um, that losing that sense of time right such a critical attribute of flow activities where we get immersed from a sensory standpoint yeah it's a it's really interesting thinking back on it because even just talking about it like the emotional side of things come back up and and i was i really liked sport and i was one of four boys and and we were always playing around the backyard but when that sport got taken away from me when i was ill i had a lot of frustration pent up because i wanted to run with the other kids but i couldn't run with the other kids and so it's you, you got to refocus or rechannel that energy into something else and and that's where i was very fortunate once again it's the teachers that i had in high school they would allow me to stay in the art room till late at night and my parents would pick me up anywhere between 8 and 9 p.m after school where i'd just been in the art room painting and, and disappearing into the into the work very early on that this was something you wanted to pursue as a career, um, yet um, some approaches and decisions in life didn't quite get you there the direct route and you had a little twist and turn a little bit later in your teens. So so tell me about that. Yeah, it, it's interesting when you think about it because all I cared about was art, but not getting a good enough score in English and all those other things that um, were the reasons I couldn't get into art college. So. Um, I was a little bit stuck when I left school and so I joined the military and um, that that was an experience in itself. <laughs> I couldn't I could talk about that forever, what it actually did to me and I was 17 when I did that. But after the military, I, I worked at Warner Brothers Movie World in a warehouse and then the job after that, I actually um, worked in a hospital. And I, the last place I ever wanted to work was in a hospital again. But the job that I got offered was just a very relaxed, um, taking people around in wheelchairs for their x-rays and I didn't have to do any dirty work or anything like that. So I, I took it. But the really 
um, interesting eye-opener that I got in that experience was seeing people at the end of their life and, and I got to talk to them about it. And that's where I got a, a really good kick in the butt to get back to what I was passionate about and, and get back into the art. So every day I was at the hospital, I would sit on the patio on my lunch break and I'd be in a sketchbook and I was kind of planning my reapproach into the art world. And I, I knew so deeply in me that it was there and I didn't have a choice in the matter. But at that point I was flying blind and all I was going to do was just do my best to create and see where it went. And here I am in Canada. <laughs> so yeah, long story yeah. short. Well, and, and tell me about that pivot point. Cause you were about 30. Is that right? When you kind of picked up and, and moved here to Canada. Yeah, it was. And I, I needed a new beginning because I mean, I, I love my hometown in Australia, which is the Gold Coast and surfing and drinking and barbecues and all that kind of stuff. But there, there was so much there that was holding me back in a way. And, you know, that might have been my own issues that were holding me back. But um, I needed a new start and I wanted to see if I could make things happen in a new country. And so I, I was I'd met a Canadian girl in Australia and, and we both came back here and and, um, and she was a huge influence on me and my health and the way I live my life. And, and that didn't pan out, um, sadly, but I was okay. It's a, it worked out for the better. Uh, but when, when I got here, the, the plan was to give it two years and see how I went. And it's just the, the tenacity that I was required to make an, a go at it in the art, art world here was enormous. But the welcome I got from everybody here was just incredible. And it's the reason I'm still here. It was it 12 years later. I, I was so welcomed by the art community. Um, the success grew quickly. I, uh, it's uh, <laughs> even just touching on that now brings up a lot of emotions because it was very difficult. I found myself standing in Stanley Park with uh, 40 artworks on easels at 10 p.m. waiting for a sale on a Sunday night. Wow. Quite often they didn't happen, but that's the thing. It, it took a lot of work to get it up and running. But when I got it up and running, um, the results just snowballed and they just got better and better. start because <laughs> there's no it's not a rule book right like you know I became a psychologist I knew exactly what I needed to do right do these hours here and take this degree here and take this next step and there's this you know basically guarantee of a job right not necessarily you know the dream job you might want but there it, there's not the journey um the journey is more clear-cut um in so many ways so when you came here I mean here you are selling art in parks to survive and what was your game plan <laughs> and where did you start the game plan was just kind of a little bit like the wild wild west you know <laughs> just <laughs> go in there guns blazing and see what happens no it's a for, for me all I knew was um community is everything and so the first thing I did on my my first day in Canada I, I went to the local art store and I looked on the the notice board and with the first thing I saw was a um a teacher named Dean Croft and so I got his phone number and called him that afternoon and said, oh, I want to take some lessons. And I, I went in there and I started taking lessons, but that's where my community started to grow. And he, and I told him what my plan was. I'm here in Canada to make a go as an artist. And so he said, oh, you might 
want to meet Robin Delaney of Delaney's Coffee. He puts art, artists up in his gallery and, I mean, in, in his coffee shop. So um, I got a show there within my first three months. I had to paint a lot of art in my first three months to have that show. And I went to the coffee shop every day, stood in the corner, and I painted for two months straight every day in the corner of that coffee shop. And that's where I met a woman named Ruth Payne, who was the director of the Ferry Building Gallery, and she told me about this whole art in the park thing that happens here in Canada. And, and that was just so enticing, standing in, in either Ambleside or Stanley Park on weekends selling art. So that became my, my approach for four years. And I found that the success I had in the summers by doing that carried me through the winters. And that allowed me to develop my art. It allowed me to develop my community. And, and even now, I have collectors who I met in the park 10 years ago are still collecting from me. So it's, uh, I mean, it, it took a lot of work to do that. There's um, some quiet tears sometimes when things weren't going my way and wondering what I'm doing wrong. But I think just the, the, the willpower and the, the desire to succeed as an artist overpowered every kind of sensibility. What were the hardest times, William, for you when you think of the kind of lowest or darkest or most overwhelming periods in your career? I'd have to say the rent check. And yeah. <laughs> so every month that thing would come along. And I, I, there was one day where I had five bucks in my pocket and I had the rent check was going to bounce, the, the, the um, internet check was going to bounce, everything was bouncing. And, there's, and I was on my second warning with the apartment that I was in and and so there's nothing I could do about it other than take that $5 down to English Bay, grab a coffee and a croissant. And I remember sitting on the, the park bench down there just by myself. And I, and I looked out to the water and I said to myself, this ain't so bad. And, and I said, what more can I do about this? I'm just going to roll with the punches. And I, and I got a little bit creative about, you know, what I could do about it. And I called Ruth Payne at the Ferry Building Gallery and I asked her for a loan um, to get a permit. Well, I, I asked if I could loan the permit to have my first um, month free selling art in the park. And within two weeks, I was back on my feet. I was selling art in that park again. I paid her back the fee for the, the permit that she gave me. And, and that problem went away. And I think I've had so many situations like that where it's just been heartbreaking to think I'm not going to make it. But that feeling just goes away with the, the next wave of success that comes in. But the, the one thing I, I pride myself in is I just can't get knocked down by those bad situations. I've got to keep bouncing back stronger and know that every bad situation leads to a better situation after it. as you're speaking of gratitude, right? Holding on to um, gratitude for things that were going well, right? Looking out on Stanley Park and saying, life could be worse, right? And then, um, I mean, I, uh, I, that, that took a lot of effort. <laughs> I, I bet, yeah. Um, perspective. Um, but when, you know, when you think about the self-talk, because our self-talk is so powerful, right? And we, I mean, one is we have, tens of thousands of thoughts a day. So we are thinking yeah. beings. Um, and of course, 
our thoughts shape so much of the reality that we perceive. And so, you know, to anyone who's listening right now that says, oh, here I am, like, questioning, can I do this? It's so hard. What a challenge. Am I capable? Like, what, what words of advice do you have, William? Um, for me, what I realized is that every problem goes away. And, and I mean, that, uh, that's broad to say, but I mean, th these challenges that I've, I've had are in the past and, and I feel great today. I didn't feel great on that day, but what I try and do is look past that problem and know that I'm going to be better once I get through it. And I mean, I've got to actively solve that problem. It's a, but I, for me, it, it's a difficult one to explain that the, the level of optimism I have for life has come from my experience with cancer. And just every day above ground to me is a gift. And I'm constantly racing the clock, you know, to, to be a better person every day if I can make that happen. And so I'm constantly looking for ways of doing that. I hope that answers your question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, when we're faced with mortality, I mean, it really there is this radical perspective shift that can come along with that. And, and you know, I think it's about perspective and and, and trust and confidence in ourselves. Well, that's, that's always a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> sure. Well, and often we yeah. get in our way more than anybody else does, right? We, we self-limit ourselves um, yeah. much more than anyone around us will. Oh, it's so true. Yes. Um, and I, I reflect on that often. And a lot of people tell me I need to be more confident with what I do. But also, I don't want to be too overconfident because I want to, to make sure I'm constantly building myself to be a better person. And it's um, if I thought I was the greatest person, there's no more room for growth. Mm. So, uh, so I always found that a fascinating balance with myself. But if you go, like, if you sit in the middle of that, you can find a really cool place. But if you go to the other side of that, which is the lower end, that's where you have to really work to build yourself up. And I've been both places. I've I had a big ego when I was a younger artist and I was very lucky to have a teacher that helped me get through that. And then there's a point where I had no ego and I also had people around me to help me build that back up. So again, it's the people who are around me who have made, really made the difference in my life. Well, isn't it our relationships, right? And that, that community that you've spoken about that is so important for all of us, um, you know, and, and we have various micro communities that we belong to um, and mentorship, because I know, you know, one of the things that I really admire about you is, is a, a real strong value for you is to kind of encourage and support artists to be able to create a livelihood and, and livable wage off their work. And, and you're very kind of business and entrepreneur oriented and, and really value supporting other artists. Well, it's been a very large part of my life. And I always ask myself why I help try to help so many artists and I can't really answer it other than I love doing it and I love seeing someone else succeed because of the knowledge I shared and and I, I have done a lot for the art community here and I put a lot of blood sweat and tears into it even to the point um, I landed in hospital from my efforts once because my body stopped working on me <laughs> so I, when I had um, the tech company direct to artists the amount of blood, sweat and tears I put into that one was, uh, it really dragged me down. I got overweight, I got unhealthy, I, I completely had forgotten about my own self-importance and self-worth and I was just busy trying to help others and I did help a lot of other, lot of people in that period of time, um, which was 
kind of the balance where I felt good. But there was a point where I had to really turn around and take a look at myself and, and get myself back in order. Yeah, and it's not easy for us to recognize, is it, when we're in the midst of it, that we're so passionate and excited and wanting to do, and and uh, but ultimately our body always tells the story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and some of us have to learn the hard way, right? And I certainly did. Your art is absolutely captivating and there are so many layers, nuances, elements to all of the details and, and visuals in your art. And so talk a bit about your process, what inspires you, how you approach a piece. That's it. It's, it's interesting to try and explain this. And, and what I've always found is that the subconscious plays such a huge role in what comes out on the canvas. And, and but generally my ideas usually come when I'm sitting with my wife, Olga, on a park bench and we're discussing like a life situation. So even referring back to direct to artists, I was busy trying to help so many people, but it's tough to help someone who doesn't want to be helped. So we had to refocus ourselves to trying to help people who really wanted the help, who were putting their hand out. And um, and that's where like I get inspired. I take a situation like that and, and I paint it. Um, I When we were building this company, one of the, the things that I faced was a lot of people who were saying, you can, you can't, that's awesome, that's not awesome, all those kind of things. But in the end, I have to take those criticisms onto myself and make my best decision. And again, there's an artwork there. And, and to represent that one, I painted a field of scarecrows and and my character ready to walk through it. But what I really like about that piece is that the scarecrows are on a stick and they can't touch you. All you gotta do is walk past them and create your own path. So I take everyday life situations and, and I try and create an artwork around it. And, and that's just by observing uh, people and their actions. Um, people on their horns and cars fascinate me. And I, I could watch that forever to try and understand what's making them so angry. And, and one day I would love to paint that to a point where I could help someone understand that it's not necessary to be aggressive like that and in a rush like that because of something I painted would help them understand that message. Such a huge... Um human behavior and psychological component right is and i think this is why you and i've uh, connected so well from when we first met is, is, yeah. is i mean you're a psychologist that's doing work in this different medium than words well let's just say i'm the most uneducated psychologist out there painting pictures to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, but you've, um, I've uh, uh, read a quote um, from you. You said, you know, I find that my work is like a Rorschach ink flop test. The way someone interprets it is usually a reflection of their own inner thought process and outlook on life. And, and that's a part of it. So if I paint my story, generally so many other people have experienced that feeling. So if I create it, someone else's interpretation is going to be from their own point of view. And, and it may skew differently as to how they see it. But if I throw that out there, all of a sudden there's a dialogue happening in the viewer's mind. And, and as long as that's happening, that's what I focus on. So if I put enough 
I'm looking for the right word, like antagonist kind of like imagery in there, something to provoke a thought. Um, I've done the job. And it's the thing is I love art that makes people think. I love art that puts two people into a conversation as to why the artist did it. And and quite often um, someone's interpretation is going to be wrong, but it's not from their point of view. It's actually right. I want people to be thinking, talking, uh, reflecting on how they like react to things in life and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, what are the pieces that most... Um you know, interest or excite you when you hear others talk about your work or provide their interpretations? Oh, it's a, like I've had people stand in front of my art and cry. And I mean, I've had st- people stand in front of my art and laugh. Um, both reactions are equally as valuable to me. But but when I've really moved someone is when I've really done a job, a really good job at it. And and like it's uh, I, I won't go into any specific artworks but the idea that one of my concepts has made someone go so deep into themselves and potentially come out the other side with an answer as to how they're being you know i'm um, taking things in their life and reacting to things and damn that's a <laughs> that's a really muddled way of explaining it but and that's probably why I paint pictures and not talk about it. But, it's, <laughs> but, um, but I've seen it happen time and time again. And that's when I know I feel the ab- utmost satisfaction from what I do. Mm, that that impact um, yeah. and that emotional connection, right? And the emotions that get evoked. Yeah, and that's right. And I, I, I am a very um, introspective kind of person. Like my my empathy meter is off the chart which is you know quite often a curse but it's also a gift but that's why when when i do paint i like to really get deep into some sort of a feeling and do my best to create that feeling and yeah and it it comes out in different ways um i know i'm a long way away from really getting that um that imagery out of my head as i see that as i see it because i i don't have the skills to properly paint what's in my head yet but as long as I keep working away on that, it's going to come. Your piece, Swallow the Sun, really resonated for folks through the pandemic. Um, right. Talk about that piece. Well, for me, it's a like I always use chess in my artworks, and and I use chess as an as an analogy of the game of life. And in chess, if you're five steps ahead of the person you're playing, or five steps ahead of yourself in life, you can make some really good headway in the world. And and so in, in that particular piece, the chess kind of um the chess rubble as i call it had been overgrown with moss um the swallows have have come back to fly around and nest and there's a a woman on top of the the middle piece dancing and she's dancing with her arms in the air and the sunflower on as a head and she's just soaking in the sun and 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 for me it, it represented a sense of freedom and and i mean life can get complicated and i wanted to create a piece that just represented absolute peace calmness and to imagine the wind in your hair the sun on your face the birds coming back to nest the the game of life overgrown and it doesn't matter at that point and 
And I painted that just purely as a feeling for myself because I feel like I'm getting somewhere in life and I wanted to paint that feeling of freedom. And naturally that that artwork, um, the feeling of it was impressed on a lot of other people and, and it took off, you know, it took off on social media. It took off in an article. It, it just got so much attention and uh, that really brought me so much satisfaction to see that happen. Oh, I can imagine. And you think, you know, hope, optimism, I mean, universal needs and feelings that we all want to be having, right? Um, right. Especially during, you know, a period that in, in so many ways has been so challenging uh, for so many. Yeah. And there's so many ways of painting that. And, and I'm just glad that that piece in particular may have dragged some people out of a slump and what they may have been feeling that day when they saw the artwork. And, you know, yeah, it's a, it's an incredible thing to be an artist and to be able to do that. And what would be amazing if that could be reached on a world scale that art, my art could have an impact on even more people, but that kind of thing just takes time. Now, the theme of uh, redefining perception seems to permeate through your art and, and you yourself have multiple times redefined yourself. Um, and not only are you an artist, but you're also a very successful entrepreneur and it kind of two paths that at times can almost feel like this oxymoron. <laughs> and so say more about the kind of business-minded entrepreneur end of your your or aspect I should say of your life and career oh yeah well again I like I've always believed that the things I don't want to do the things I fear are a compass and and I know that if I go in that direction I'm gonna I'm gonna create better things in this world for myself and the people around me and I remember the day that I, I was approached about taking over art battle here in the city and I was terrible at communicating. I was, I didn't answer emails for sometimes a couple of weeks. Um, and I knew if I said yes to that, that all of those things had to change. And, and when they did change, um, when I started having effective communication, I, and, and a dialogue with a lot of people at one time, I really got excited about it. And then through that process, I met, a gentleman named Colin Brown who came along and him and I started uh, the direct to artist together. And he, he's a numbers guy and he's an incredibly intelligent dude that can can really change an industry if he chooses to. And and um and being with him in this position, um, building this company for so long, I got insight into into numbers and how they work and and um and I kind of got a little bit addicted to it. I I like spreadsheets these days and I and oh I can, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you how many hours I painted for in um 2017 on a Tuesday in September. It's a oh. it's crazy, and and I, and I use that information now to relieve my artistic mind because if you, you throw the weight of business on top of an artistic mind, it it can be really consuming on the the creative process. But I found without the entrepreneurial background and without the business behind me, my mind was in chaos all the time. But now I have that entrepreneurial um, backing to me. I don't even have to think about it anymore. It's all there in a spreadsheet. I know what I have to do tomorrow. I know what I have to do in like January next year. It's just, I'm going to work so much a day. I know that the rent will come in and and in so many ways, that entrepreneurial side of me is a part of how I tell my story these days, but it's also been one of the most relieving things that's ever happened to my art. 
Oh yeah, say more. Is it the like the predictability, the structure, stability? Yeah, like that. There's no no wandering anymore. And I, I spent so many years just drifting in the arts and between paychecks and all oh, art sales, as you would say, and and I'm um, wondering if I'm going to have enough money for rent and all those kind of things. And and I don't have any of those thoughts anymore because I, I know what's happening. I know exactly what I need to do. I, I know on average how many of my artworks sell. I can make really educated um, decisions on, on how many artworks I'm going to sell next year based on what I've experienced for the last five years. And, and there's averages, there's um, numbers that you can see moving forward. I know how many hours I do. I know how much I'm going to spend on rent, on food, on alcohol. If I'm going to have some drinks, I, I know if I'm going to go on a holiday, how much I spend on average. And, and, um, and for that matter, I know how much I need to paint next year at what price point, if I want to have that life I'm living. And, and a, a lot of artists um, move away from that, that business background because they think it affects the art in a negative way. But for me, it's actually brought so much positivity to my art that I, the business stuff is just in the background now. discipline right when you when you know when you're tracking the hours that you're working and um i mean how did this come to be was it you know just kind of you on your own did you get mentorship or advice or coaching um, i mean how did you start to build this level of kind of tracking and detail and projection well it's a always remember a, a, a successful guy here in vancouver and i was sitting down having a, a drink with him one day and he said to me anything that you say that starts with I think, I feel, I believe is BS. You know, and and my whole life was ah, I think this artwork's worth this. I think I'll make this. <laughs> no, I feel. You know, all those kind of things. And and it's so true. The moment I could get that vocabulary out of my out of the way, um, things really started to change for me. And and so that's the direction I want to keep going. Is I I want to know. So I so I can just focus on the art and the art is the most important thing to me and I know every artist doesn't matter what field they're in how much they're doing with the art how much other stuff they do for other people every artist will always say in the end I just want to paint mm. and and for me that I'm the same I'm no different to that I may be a very business focused artist but that is all focused around the fact that I just want to paint yeah, and it is, it's an area that I, I do think, again, we think of that oxymoron, right? I think there's this perception of, oh, if I think about the business end or the money end, that that somehow is going to take away from, you know, my passion or the true reason I'm doing it, right? And we hear these kind of, these kinds of feelings and sentiments. And um, and it sounds like, you know, for you, that your advice to anyone who's kind of starting out in the, you know, proverbial kind of struggling artist is that this can actually give you a lot of peace of mind to be able to um, plan and predict. There's so much that's unpredictable in this career to begin with, that it's kind of, you know, what I hear it is, is controlling that which is controllable. Well, and, and that's right. And, and I think the chaos of being an artist drifting had had more kind of negative negative effects on my art than the way I am now. And it's a uh, and yeah, the advice I give to any young artist, and it's it's very simple, is that you are running a business. 
no, you have to you have to put out receipts, you have to track time, you have to have a little bit of knowledge about you know the effort you put into something and what's what's coming back for it. And I mean, I I know there's been artworks where I've earned three dollars an hour on them because of the discounts I gave to someone. You know, it's just yeah. it's ridiculous. But the fact that I know that um makes so much sense. I need to know how much I'm spending on frames, on canvases. So again, I can make good educated decisions about know what steps I need to take at the end of the year and if I mean I'm being from Australia I love my family I love my home I want to get back there so I need to know I have to I've got to have a few grand spare at the end of the year to go back there and the fact that I know that I have that um brings me so much peace of mind yeah great I think great advice right especially because the the financial insecurity is is one of the most challenging aspects, I think, for many um, artists, especially kind of early in career that are trying to dabble in and think, you know, can I make this a go? Can I make this a career? Can I do this full time? Does it have to remain a hobby? And and all of those questions. Oh, it, it's taxing. It is such a it's such, in so many points in my life. It was a horrible feeling. And I remember just even the the tax side of things. I, I I didn't always have my my um ducks in a row. And when I finally got my ducks in, in a row regarding tax, I got a really big bill that just threw me off, you know, like um mentally, uh it threw so many things off off track for me. But all I knew is that that was my my price for not taking care of stuff for so many years. And and when I got that bill sorted out, I felt so good about myself that I finally had things moving in the right direction. Now, William, uh, one of your career highlights to date has been being invited to have your work showcased alongside a collection of Salvador Dali's work. Uh, that, that to me is everything, because I, I even remember being a young kid, I didn't even know what a Dali was. And, um, and I didn't really even know much about art, but I always gravitated towards his imagery. And, and so being able to showcase my work alongside a collection of his sculptures and, and prints, I was just I was blown away. And as just the pinnacle of what I'd done and, and where I've been over the years. And to think back on some of the chaos that I've been through and to be standing in that gallery in 2019, um, the, the, the feeling was, yeah, as a tearjerker, just, you know, the hard work eventually pays off. And that was one of the biggest achievements I've had in my life. And I, and I look forward to more achievements, but you've got to really celebrate the wins. And, and you could liken that to the, the piece I painted, Swallow the Sun. It's just dancing on top of the game with no care in the world and being really appreciative of where you are and what you've achieved. If your 11-year-old self uh, could have had a crystal ball to look into the future, um, you know, what would you say to that 11-year-old now? Oh, <laughs> um, I don't know. It's a, I've got a million sayings that come to mind and and I always remember my mum gave me a poster when I was younger and it said, um, never regret the things you have done, only the things you've never tried. But I, I think the advice I give to myself is, you know, so often good people can.
can be walked over, you know, because they're caring, they're giving. And, and I've always felt that, you know, I have been walked over on so many occasions for being the good person, doing the right thing. But that pays off so well in the end. And, and I don't want to use the term pays off because it's the wrong terminology for it, but it's far more rewarding as a human. And, and to keep doing the right thing and keep being good to people is the advice I give to myself back then. Because I have done a lot of um, community work and, and I've really put a lot of effort into other people in my life. And it's such a rewarding, good feeling to know that, um, that you've, you've brought that to people's lives. And, and so for me, it's, yeah, that's pretty much the advice. Just keep being a good guy and, and do the right thing and, and constantly be in tune with other people's feelings and, and understand how other people react to certain things. And I don't know, it's a, so it's a, it's a tough question, Jody. I could I've put that in so many different ways, but I hope that kind of sums up how I feel. Oh, yeah. I mean, as you're speaking, I'm just thinking values aligned living, right? And, yeah, and to so just live each day kind of aligned with those core values. And uh, while it doesn't always, you know, quote unquote, pay off and that we're not always rewarded, uh, and again, not monetarily, um, that ultimately when we trust in ourselves and and come at life and, and our relationships and the good, bad and ugly that we all are faced with at various points in our life from a place of just um, both presence and compassion for ourselves, compassion for others. Um, you know, it's it's hard to lose in that that scenario. And, and you can't lose because the, the thing is, you just feel good about yourself. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm not the per- most perfect person you'll ever meet. Um, and I have had my years of like waywardness and, and some of those years, you know, if you, you've done something wrong by someone, those things well for me being the way I am, they stick with me. And, and I have to work to get rid of those feelings sometimes because I want to be doing the right thing all the time. Cause it just, it's a better way of living. And it's a, and so I, I keep trying to improve myself um, every day to be that better person and to work harder and work smarter and be kinder and and do more for other people. And it's a, uh, you know, and I, I mean, the, even from a work point of view, it, it's actually been one of the biggest advantages that I've had as an artist is that that community work has always come back to support me one way or another without even asking for it. Who are your favorite artists? Oh, uh, my wife, Olga. Yes. <laughs> Lovely <laughs> Olga, who is amazing, amazing art. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. no, she's incredible. And that, that I mean, it, it's pretty much hands down her because we work out of the same studio. We do so many things together that are just incredibly intense with life and art. And we do a lot of live painting and those kind of things. And being able to have her there with me all the time allows me to jump over hurdles so much faster because if I got a problem, it's solved within minutes with Olga there. And I mean, and I talk about that from an artistic point of view. So for example, um, is this green, right? Uh, no, it's not. Try this. And it's, oh, you know, and sometimes in my old days, I had to wait a couple of weeks for that. <laughs> so <laughs> I see, see a mentor of it. But when it comes down to inspiration um, from other artists, I, 
I kind of consider myself a sponge and I look at other people's art all day, every day, if I can, every spare moment. I'll go into an Instagram feed or a Facebook feed where I can just see art. And, and I know my art gets better with the more art I put into myself. And I've always gravitated towards surrealist because I, I love the imagery. But digital art these days, again, is just um, constantly blowing my mind. And, and, and some of these guys who do the, the really amazing stuff, their speed to vision is incredibly quick. And they're things I'd like to achieve um, in my work can often take um, the digital artists a, a week, whereas the, an artwork like that may take me six months to a year. So mm -hmm. very envious of that. Now, speaking of the, the digital world, um, now, <laughs> I do not know very much about this other than being able to pronounce the name, but this wild world of NFTs or non-fungible tokens, um, am I right? You've now had a piece or several pieces that you have in NFTs for? Yeah, I've sold a few NFTs and I I find this so fascinating because um, I, I believe in the arts, it, the, the industry will forge it, will force its own way into something. And and what I really love about it is I, I have been talking a little bit about digital art and how much I admire it. And, and I really do think NFTs or this whole system has given digital art a window into some form of success for the, the independent artists out there doing it. And, um, and so I, I'm not going to go into any detail about it because I really don't understand it. It is very complicated. Um, I've worked with a company called Art Rapture to to help me move my nfts and i and i i tried to understand it and and it went over my head because you have to understand quite a bit about cryptocurrency as well to be in that but what i think is really fascinating about it is it is finally that window for digital artists to have their their artworks viewed and and it, it is it's about scarcity so when you um when you have an artwork as an nft um what you've done is basically created a limited edition of it and what people want to have is is the ability to say that this is one of so many and um and that's where it becomes important i feel what an evolving uh, evolving world first of all but certainly when you think of for the the world of art i mean something I mean, 10 years ago would you have ever even imagined there'd be this thing called nfts and uh, existing the way that it does yeah, and you, you couldn't have imagined. I mean, you couldn't design it, and and um, as an artist, it's it's kind of if you're a digital marketer, you, you're constantly battling to fight how technology is changing, and there's just a constant move, revolving door on, and you've got to get on board one way or another. But you have to have such a deep understanding of it, and I I think in many ways the art world is the same when it comes to social media and how galleries are um uh you know and declining in in some kind of a way in in many cases and the the online galleries are, are really becoming abundant artists have to really switch their game and and understand how they're going to move with the the art world and and to make the right decisions as well because no no artist really knows what the future of nfts is are and you know how it may value or devalue an artwork but the decision to get on board has to be taken you know, really cautiously because because again those those images are limited so the moment you limit an image that's it and so for me i, I am cautious about it i always lean on 
uh, the professionals around me to help me make decisions. I, I don't want to ever say that I make all of my decisions on my own. I have a, a lot of good people around me who help me get those decisions down. I just want to end with a, a final question. Um, what's next? And if you go into your kind of time machine and fast forward, where might you think life is going to take you? <laughs> well, the craziest thing is from year to year, it's been such a mystery lately, but something amazing happens every year. But for me, I, I just want to keep evolving as an artist. I just want to keep learning and keep growing um, my imagery because, as I said earlier, the images in my head um, aren't as clear on canvas as they are in my mind. So my, my goal is to keep continuing growing the skill and um, and keep hopefully um, getting in front of more and more people so that my imagery is affecting more and more people. And that's where the satisfaction is for me when I get an email from someone saying how much the artwork has brought to their life and how it makes them feel every day. And for me, that is absolute satisfaction. Well, William, I wish you all continued ongoing success and um thank you so much for your time thank you for the work that you do in your community and the support that you provide to other artists and and thank you for sharing a bit of the the personal part of your journey um and thank you so much to our listeners for tuning into tardigrade talks if you've enjoyed our conversation i would love for you to subscribe and consider sharing with a friend we have a breadth of free resources at tardigradetalks.com. Thank you, and I hope you join us again. Wishing you psychological health, wellness, and resilience until next time. Mm -hmm.